Welcome to this special edition of the The Generation Podcast, where we'll be broadcasting all the sermons and workshops from the 2019 The Generation Youth Summit. I'm Bobby Bosler, and the sermon you're about to hear is preached by Dr. Jim Van Gelderen on Thursday night, October 17th, 2019, at the V Generation Youth Summit. After a day of exciting competition on the field and very challenging preaching at the pulpit, uh, God was working in many hearts, and Dr. Jim here in this evening's service was really presenting to us to what life is all about. You know, we can succeed in a lot of things, but until we've succeeded at seeking the face of God, we have not succeeded in anything that matters. So listen and let your soul be stirred with a challenge to seek God's face continually. go to 1st Chronicles. If you have your Bibles, the first book of Chronicles, that's in the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at chapter number 16. 1st Chronicles chapter number 16. It is wonderful to see everybody look uh, out of the crowd here tonight. It certainly is a full house. And I'm certainly grateful for those who are joining us tonight who are not a part of the D-Generation Youth Summit. Thank you for being a part of this service. I know many young people are in the service tonight, and it certainly is a joy to preach to you. Don't tell adults this, but I'd rather preach to teenagers. But anyway, it's great to be here. And I'm just curious, uh, I'd, I'd just be interested if I could do this, because I'd like to say a word after I do this. I'd like uh, all the young men and young ladies who've traveled on one of the Minutemen evangelistic teams, Cola Clash, the War, War of Special Forces, either as a captain or a co-captain, uh, for at least a couple of weeks, I'd like each of you to stand. Would you do that just for a moment? Uh, our War of Special Forces, Cola Clash, the War team members, just stand please, just for a moment. And uh, these are some of the young people over the years that have traveled. Some are not young anymore, but anyway. Anyway, we won't point them out. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, these young people are what I would consider frontline soldiers. And what you say, why did you have them stand? Uh, because I wanted you to see that um, uh, several of these young people that are around, of course, are former team members. And I also mentioned this because there are probably young people sitting out here who one day will travel on either the war team, the Cola Clash team, or War Special Forces as a co-captain or captain. And it certainly would be a thrill for God to lead you to do that. I wouldn't be surprised at all. There are several young people in the room. Uh, certainly as a ministry, we believe uh, God's got some great things ahead. And of course, we are in a, really in a, a mindset of expansion as the Lord would so lead us. And so we're excited about that. Many, of course, uh, of the young people that just stood, I think all of the young people that just stood are, are either present students or graduates of Baptist. College of Ministry, probably BCM is our biggest pool, if I can say that, where we have team members come from. I'd say a good 90% probably come from here. And so we're excited about what the Lord is doing. And uh, certainly um, uh, would uh, love it if some of you one day uh, are on the team giving testimony of what God did in your life when the team came through your, your town. Well, I'd like to do something here tonight. I came with a different message, but I've sensed uh, this um, uh, this, uh, this evening that the Lord would have us go a different direction. It's interesting to me from the songs that prepared our hearts for the direction that we're going to go. Uh, but I want to deal with something that I, I hope will change your perspective. I don't know if you've figured this out, young people, but you live in a world that is constantly screaming at you to pay it attention. In this particular world, the only way you can assimilate this world, what this world has to offer, is you must assimilate it through the sensory, the realm of the sensory. Now, most of you in this room have five senses that God give, gave you. Yeah, you have eyesight, you can hear, you can smell, you can taste, you can touch. We have five senses. And some of us, uh, our senses are a little sharper than others. Some of you seeing is not real good because uh, of maybe just eyesight issues. You've got to wear glasses, uh, contacts, whatever. Others of you, uh, maybe, uh, uh, maybe your hearing isn't as good. That's probably for most of the old people. I think your hearing starts to go. And, uh, but anyway, you have five senses. And that is how you assimilate the world around you. And uh, many times, if you're not careful in your youth, you have a tendency to look at that which is real as that which you can assimilate through the five senses. And you begin to live for that, for the sensory realm. I want to preach a message tonight that is really a message on metaphysics, okay? If you don't understand that, ask your college student. I'm sure they can explain it to you. But anyway, and uh, we're going to uh, deal with something that is very important in your life. And I want to preach a message on seeking God's face. Seeking God's face. Let's talk about the real realm. Most of you live in the 
how do we say this, the temporal realm. It's not really the real realm. It's the realm you see. Some of you are investing in this realm. Let me ask you this. What if you uh, could go back in time and maybe in 1864, you are going back to be a financial counselor to a millionaire in Confederate dollars? So here you are in 1864, you're brought back in time. Here's a man who is literally passionate. Every day he wakes up with one intent, to make Confederate money. And the guy is making millions of Confederate dollars. He spends every waking moment. He spends all of his energies. He gives, I mean, even sacrificially of time and, and maybe neglects his family for one purpose. And that is to literally grow his amount of Confederate dollars. Now, what would you do if you were his financial counselor? <laughs> you say, hey, buddy, get rid of those confederate dollars. Invest in something that will last. Why? Because you know 1865 is coming. And you know once the Civil War is over, guess what? Those confederate dollars are going to be, you tell me, worthless. Can I tell you that everything you can see, every car that's ever been made, every house that's ever been built, they're confederate dollars. And one day the war is going to be over. And guess what? They're going to be worthless. When John D. Rockefeller died, some people believe in modern history, if you adjust wealth, he was the richest man who lived in modern history. When John D. Rockefeller died, somebody asked somebody who evidently would know and say, hey, how much did he leave? And you know what the answer was? He left it all. The richest man in modern history, when he died, he left all his Confederate dollars. They're all left. Have you ever noticed there's no U-Hauls behind hearses? Have you ever noticed that? I guarantee you this, I don't care who you are, you mark my words, when you die, everything you can see, you are leaving it. You won't take any of it with you. So why would you live for Confederate dollars? Let me ask you that. Why would you? I want to say that to Bill Gates. Why are you living for Confederate dollars? Michael Jordan, why are you living for Confederate dollars? Because when you die, Bill Gates is not going to take any of it with him. Michael Jordan will not take any of his money with him. None. Tom Brady's not taking any of his money with him. None. Kind of foolish to live for Confederate dollars. What do you think? Back when I was a teenager, I was confronted with the choice of living for that which is going to be eternal or living for that which is temporal. And every teenager makes the choice, what are you going to live for? Will you live for that which you can see or will you live for that which you cannot see? And although I certainly not lived it perfectly, I will say in my teenage years I made a decision, I'm living for that which I cannot see. I'm going to live for the realm that is invisible. For the Bible says, well, we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal, 2 Corinthians 4.18. So tonight I want to give you an eternal perspective. And my burden is, I don't know how many it will be, I hope it will be quite a few, that something will begin to burn in your heart to live for the realm that you cannot see. My grandmother, when she was young, um, she had some, several encounters with God, and she knew the reality of God. But when she got into her young married life, she got her eyes turned away from the eternal and began just for a short amount of time to live for the temporal. She, um, her husband uh, had a government job, and he made a decent amount of money. It wasn't immense, but they began to get ahead in life. For a young couple, they began to get a little bit ahead in life. And God allowed three things to wipe them out. In 1926, the Miami hurricane, the hurricane hit the coast of the Miami. They lived, of course, in Miami. As I understand it, the next door neighbor's house came off of its foundation, moved over and landed on my grandparents' house, destroyed everything. My dad was one years old. He was put on a door frame. The door frame saved his life. My dad told me in his later years, he said, Jim, I remember that. I was one years old, but I remember it. It was so traumatic. He said, I remember water being everywhere. All my grandmother's fine linens, all her china, all her wedding gifts destroyed. They pretty much lost everything probably before insurance was as developed as it is today. They lost everything. Then came, I believe, 1927, what's called the Florida Land Bust. Most of you probably are not familiar with that, but Florida Land just became devalued. They had invested in some very, what they felt would one day be a good investment. They invested in some land, and in the Florida Land Bust, they lost it. Just so you know, the Orange Bowl now sits on that piece of property. But they lost it. 
1929, have you ever heard of that? <laughs> they lost everything else. Now, my grandfather, who I never met, got frustrated, and the rest of his life he lived with the thought of what could have been. He lived a frustrated, discouraged, defeated man because he didn't get ahead in life like he had planned to. My grandmother took a different road. She figured, why live for things that aren't going to last where moth and rust and hurricanes corrupt? I think that's in some translation. And, uh, and she began to live for the eternal. She became a remarkable prayer warrior. I've known some godly people in this world, and I know that many of them were like my grandmother, but I don't think I've met anybody like my grandmother, a remarkable woman. When she said God was going to do it, he always did it. I always wondered, how does she know? A remarkable woman. And when she died, I'm going to be just dead honest with you, when she died in April of 1989, she did not leave any of us anything. Not one copper cent did she leave us. But she left us an unbelievable spiritual treasure. She didn't live for Confederate dollars. She lived for the eternal. Amen. I want to ask you, young person, what are you living for? I'm talking to many of you right now living for Confederate dollars. I'm trying to help you see the foolishness of it. Because one day when you die, you're not taking any of it with you. And tomorrow morning, we're going to have a very important session where you're going to spend time with God. I've done this enough. You kind of walk around. You see some teenagers, they're checked out, they're sleeping. They're fellowshipping with the inside of their eyelids. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> they say they're dwelling in Beulah land. Okay, but anyway. And you can say they don't get it. They don't get it. And these other young people are meeting with God. I hope all of you meet with God tomorrow. I hope you meet with God tonight. So tonight I want us to deal with a simple subject matter, and that is seeking God's face. What does that mean? Let's look at our text, if we could, please. 2 Chronicles 16. I want you to look at verse number eight, 11. Excuse me. It says, Seek the Lord in His strength. And here is the text. I'm just going to keep it simple. Teenagers like it simple. You can even memorize this. It says, Seek His face continually. In fact, I'm going to ask us to say those last four words together. I'd like you to memorize it. So when somebody says, what did the preacher preach on tonight or two days ago? You'll be able to say, oh, he preached on seek his face continually. So let's say it together. Could we do that? Okay, 1 Chronicles 16, 11, last four words. Here they are. Seek his face continually. Now, isn't it interesting that God tells us to do something all the time? Now, I think we all know that anything in the Bible... Where God tells us to do it, it's important, wouldn't you think it? It's interesting in the fact in Matthew chapter 5, God says if you do and teach the least commandments, you're going to be great in the kingdom of heaven. So even what we might consider to be least commandments are important, but I think it's important to understand whatever God's asking us to do all the time must be pretty important. What do you think? Pray without, rejoice, in everything give thanks. Those commands seem to me to be really, really important. Because God's saying, do them all the time. So seek his face continually must be really important. So I got a question for you. How do you seek his face? Because if you don't know how to seek his face, good chance is you won't do it continually. So tonight I'd just like us to investigate those simple words. Seek his face continually. Now the word, uh, the idea here of seeking his face, there's many different things we can talk about, but let's first of all discuss God's face. What in the world is that talking about? Because in the Old Testament, there is imagery used about God's face. How about this verse? Cause thy face to shine upon us. What does that mean? How about this one? Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you. So what in the world is the Bible talking about when it talks about God's face? Because isn't it somewhere in the Bible where it says no man has seen God at any time? So what is this talking about? Seek his face. Well, obviously, one of the problems we have in 2019 is technology. Back in the olden days, it was a little different. Now, my, I'm usually with my family, at least my, my wife. My girls are now in college here, but they traveled with us for years. And, and, uh, but occasionally I'd be away from them, and most of the time I would just make telephone calls because I'm a baby boomer. But, um, uh, you know, I know you can Skype and you can FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. I still haven't figured out how to do that. The old way worked fine for me. Okay, but anyway, if I were to Skype or FaceTime, 
and I were to see my wife's face or my daughter's faces, there is still no substitute for being in their actual presence. You know, I'm away for a week. Uh, somebody picks me at the airport, drives me, drops me off at the driveway, and I come in, my wife comes out, and I give her a big hug and a kiss. There's no substitute for that than talking over Skype. See, I can be Skyping my wife, and I can kiss my phone, but I'm telling you, kissing my wife in real time is a whole lot better. I'm telling you that. I can FaceTime my wife on a computer, but I'd rather hug my wife than that computer. See, there is no substitute for the presence of somebody. So what's the Bible talking about when it says, seek my face? Well, it's really, it's just talking about this. It is, it is seeking the manifestation of the presence of God. Now I want to ask you a question. Is God here tonight? Is God here tonight? If you ever come to Baptist College of Ministry and you go to Bible doctrines, they will teach you. Uh, part of it will be the doctrine of God. And one of it is the characteristics of God is His omnipresence. And that simply means that everywhere that man can be, thou God art present there, as the songwriter well put. So we know God's here tonight, but here's the point. In this room right now, in this very room, for many of you, and I don't know how many, God is theologically present, but you are not, you are not sensing the manifestation of his presence. God could well be a million miles away. There's others of you in this room that not only know that God is here because the Bible says he is, you know he's here because he's manifested his presence to you. See, what I want you to understand, when the Bible says, seek my face, what it is talking about is seeking the manifestation of the presence of God. About a year or so ago, I was counseling somebody. They may even be in the room. I don't know, but I was counseling them, and we were talking about some serious problems that they were encountering. And I remember asking this question. I said, have you ever met with God? Have you ever experienced the presence of God? Do you know what I'm talking about? They smiled real big, and they said, yes, I do. I said, when God shows up in your life, the problems that we're discussing right now, how do they seem? He said, well, they seem really insignificant. Young person, there is nothing like the manifestation of the presence of God in your life. In other words, friends, could I put it this way? God does not want to just be a distant God. He wants to be a God who walks with you, like the songwriter said, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I'm his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. There, it's a spiritual reality. So what we're talking about, because we, here's the problem. Maybe I could put it this way. Here's the problem. Because of the world in which we live, we have a tendency to struggle with the spiritual realm. Why? Because the sensory realm screams at us. You see, for all of you in this room, you may not realize but this, but the world in which you live is constantly attempting to get you to give attention to the, the sensory realm. Now, I, I, I've, in my short life, have watched even simple things that aren't necessarily wrong. The world become just absolutely enamored by. The world loves to cater to our senses. Did you know that? See, back when I was a kid, we had candy. Candy, just candy. Today, I don't know what it is. They have candy. Back when I was a kid, you'd go down to the store and you'd buy wax lips. How many old people remember wax lips? Boy, they do, wax lips. And then when you were done with the wax lips, you were supposed to chew them like bubble gum. But you know what wax lips taste like? Wax. <laughs> Which basically means they taste like nothing. Have you ever noticed they're not on sale anymore? <laughs> I think the company went belly up. You know, now they have bubble gum that, I mean, have you ever noticed some of these flavors? I'm thinking, wow, and we missed out. All we had was spearmint and peppermint. That was it. And juicy fruit. Yeah, we had that one too. See, the world we just live in, it just caters to the senses. And uh, I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm not necessarily into doing a lot of this. But um, back when I was a kid, I rode a few roller coasters. You know what I'm talking about? How many like roller coasters? Yeah, roller coasters. Yeah, I, I'm telling you. I remember riding, when I was a kid, riding roller coasters, and I thought they were unbelievable. I remember, I remember one built north of Chicago, here south of here, called, it was called Marriott's Great America. I haven't been there since my teenage years, but I remember riding one that went upside down four times. We thought that was unbelievable, just absolutely unbelievable. But every time I drive by that great, I shouldn't say every time, but many times I drive by, I kind of try to go in there and say, where is that roller coaster? And I find it. I think they moved it to the kiddie ride section. <laughs> There's like 15 roller coasters that make that thing look like nothing. 
See how, they say in roller coaster technology, they've reached the edge. They have really reached the edge. They can't do any more because if they do, people are going to black out. That'll be the next thing. Ride this roller coaster and black out. Wow, that'll be fun, won't it? Yeah, okay. I think I've ridden my last roller coaster. I like kind of blood everywhere. I don't like it on one side of my body, you know. But uh, some of you kids love that stuff. I'm crazy. It's crazy to me. But that's the world we live in. And you ever, I, I occasionally, I, I'm not like into this, but I'll be walking through a Walmart, whatever, and you're walking through and you see the television department. You look up and think, what in the world? And it's some kind of extreme sports going on. I look at that thing and I think, if that guy makes one mistake, he will have arthritis for the rest of his life. When you get my age, that's the way you think. <laughs> Every sports injury is not worth it. <laughs> okay, uh, you don't get that. Okay, but... Uh, it's just like, that's crazy. When I was a kid, we didn't have extreme sports. <laughs> well, I take that back. We did have one guy. He was called Evil Knievel. <laughs> How many remember Evil Knievel? These same people raising their hand. Unbelievable. Okay. Yeah. I remember a few years ago reading an article about Evil Knievel. He lived in Tampa, Florida. It was a USA Today article. And basically, they said every waking moment of his life, he lived in constant pain. He had broken almost every bone in his body. And the gist of the article was, because he hadn't just tried thrills, he had tried all kinds of, you know, drugs, alcohol, moral impurity. I mean, he was just tried it all. And basically, the gist of the article was, Evil Knievel has still not found what he's looking for. And I'm going to tell you why. Because he was looking in the wrong place. He was looking in the realm of the sensory. Some of you have seen me when I played the clip of Tom Brady of course, uh, he had won three Super Bowls at the time. That was a long time ago. But anyway, he'd won three Super Bowls at the time. And the interview, they asked him, hey, Tom, how does it feel, man? The money, you know, winning the Super Bowl, three Super Bowls. And the consternation came over his face. Some of you have seen the video. He said, there's got to be something more. Three Super Bowls? And he's saying, there's got to be something more? So the guy says, well, what do you think it is? He says, I wish I knew. Listen, friends, I'm looking out here. No offense, kids, but I'm not seeing anybody who's looking like an NFL quarterback. You know, I don't think that's where you're going. And if three Super Bowls aren't going to cut it, what is? Well, here's the point. Tom Brady was looking in the wrong spot. He's got six now, I think. He might get another one. I don't know. Keeps deflating the footballs. He'll for sure get another one. But anyway, you know, the point is. He's looking in the wrong place. He's not going to find for it there. We all know that. Michael Jordan quit basketball, tried to find it in baseball. Came back to basketball, didn't find it there either. My point, friends, is simply this. We live in a world that has gone haywire for the sensory. They're trying to find fulfillment, satisfaction in a world that caters to their five senses. And that's where video games will get you. That's where media gets you. It's all designed to get the, man, just get the senses going. I'm not saying all of it's wrong, uh, media, etc. Obviously, a lot of it is. We talked about this afternoon. But the point I'm making is simply this. The world, if you're not careful, is going to distract you and try to communicate to you in the realm of the sensory. But that is where you will never find fulfillment in the sensory. The Bible says, seek his face continually. You know what that means, friends? It means you're seeking the manifestation of the presence of God. I'm talking to some of you know what I'm talking about. In some of our War Special Forces prayer meetings, even this past tour, and I think some of you in the room would admit it, we've had prayer meetings where God showed up. And anybody in that room will tell you, God was there. You say, how do you know that? I don't know, it's a spiritual reality. We all knew He was there. It was unmistakable. It was a spiritual reality. I remember about four years ago sitting down at the lunch tables here at Baptist College of Ministry, and I think the two young ladies are in the room. I've given this illustration before, but a couple of young ladies were there. One, I think, was a freshman at the time, one a sophomore. And I remember they looked at me and said, oh, Dr. Jim, we're so glad you sat here. We want to tell you what happened last night. I said, well, tell me what happened. So we started having our room devotions at 1030. There were three of us in the room and we started having our devotions at 1030 and we were all burdened because we all had family members that are away from God. We started having a prayer meeting. The best way I remember as they described it, they said, we began to pray and I don't know how to explain this, but we prayed three hours to 1.30 in the morning. I remember one of the young ladies talked, looked at me and said, Dr. Jim, 
The reality of God in that room was so real, I felt like if I'd have opened my eyes, I would have seen him. Now, you hear me, young person, they wouldn't have seen him. Most, I mean, I don't believe so. Why? Because it was a spiritual reality. It was in the realm of the realm you cannot see. But the Bible says this in John 4, 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him, hang out now, must worship him in, help me out now, in spirit and in truth. I want to ask you a question, friend. You ever met with God? You ever had your prayer time, open your Bible, and all of a sudden you knew God was there? Now, the Bible tells us God's not a respecter of persons. He's just saying, if you seek my face, seek my face continually. Now, there's a couple of things. So we're talking about a spiritual reality. Like I mentioned a moment ago, it's like another songwriter said, and he walks with me and talks with you. Ask me how I know he lives. He lives, anybody know? Within my heart. There was an understanding of the reality of the presence of God in your life. Some of you have been to summer camp or even war special forces, and there's been a move of God. You knew God was there, and we kind of look at that as a mountaintop. May I tell you, that is not just a mountaintop that wants, what God wants to do every few years. That is the way God wants you to live. He wants you to live with the reality of the presence of God in your life. The Bible says to seek his face how often? All the time. Deuteronomy 4.29, but if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If you seek for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Isaiah 41 verse 17, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I the Lord will hear them. I the God of Israel will not forsake them. Isaiah 44 and verse 3, I will pour water on him who is thirsty. Jeremiah 29 verse 13, and you shall seek for me and find me when you search for me with all. Your heart. God is not a respecter of persons. I'm telling you, there could be a 13-year-old teenager in this room. God lights a fire in your heart. Say, I want to know God. I want God in my life. God's not a respecter of persons. He'll meet with you. Doesn't matter if you come from a broken home. Doesn't matter if you have a father who walked out of your life. Doesn't matter, my friend, what your issues are. If you have a hunger for God, he'll show up in your life. In fact, he's the father of the fatherless. He's promised to do that in your life. But the issue is this, you've got to want him. It's that simple, you've got to want him. I think as you go through the book of Psalms, you say, well, preacher, where do you find this uh, illustrated in the Bible? As I mentioned, I believe it's in the book of Psalms. How about Psalm 42? The psalmist says here, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so my soul thirsteth after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. That sound like what's going on in your heart? How about Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2? O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee. In a dry and thirsty land where no order is, to see thy power and thy glory, so have I seen thee in the sanctuary. Verse number 8, my soul followeth hard after God. Psalm 84, my heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. My friend, that's the psalmist is trying to help us understand what it means to seek his face. Now, why do we live in a world where most Christians don't do this, or at least in our country? I realize that overseas it's a different story. But why is it here in our own country, why is it that we have so few young people, so few adults for that matter, that can characterize their life by seeking God's face continually? None of us can do it perfectly, but that ought to be our heartbeat. God, I want you. God, I can't go on without you. Now, let me just make a statement and come back to answer the question. If you can live without God, you will. But if you can't live without God, you don't have to. If you're out here tonight and say, preacher, I can't go on. I need God. I need something to happen. I got really good news. You're the kind of person God will show up in your life because he said, you get hungry, you get thirsty, I'll meet your need. You thirst, you seek, you'll find. Now, here's what I've learned. Just a couple of things here. But here's what I've learned in, in relationships. Over the years, you develop relationships, friendships. You develop strong relationships. In every single case, and of course it starts with your spouse, which ought to be the ultimately close relationship, and then obviously there are other relationships that are strong as well. But in each relationship I've ever developed that had any kind of strength to it all, there was one commonality. Time. Time. 
Every time I take a team out for three months, you develop a relationship with them. You know why? Because you spend time. Sometimes that time is, you feel like you're in a foxhole and bullets are flying over your head. And any, anybody who's ever been in those kind of situations spiritually, there's some bonding that takes place because you're in a battle together, almost like your soldiers. Years ago, I was with uh, one of the, uh, I think there were three Marines that were active Marines that were uh, ordained ministers but were not chaplains. I happened to be with one of them who was a youth pastor. He was, uh, he was, um, uh, he wasn't in all the time. I can't remember what they call that. But anyway, he, was, uh, uh, he would go in at times when they were particularly need him. And he had been in Operation Desert Storm and flew Cobra helicopters into live fire. I remember at the end of the week, we had a very intense week. I think we had 305 teenagers come on the last night. I think it's at least my personal record, the highest crowd I've ever preached to at a war. And uh, I remember at the end of the week, he said to me, Brother Van Gelderen, he said, when you fly in combat and have live lead coming your way, he said, whoever's in that cockpit, he said, you develop a relationship with them. And he says, you bond. He said, I just want you to know, I've flown several missions into, into live gunfire and, of course, bonded with those in that cockpit. He says, I feel the same way about you after this week. I thought to myself, wow, that's really neat. But my point, friends, is simply this. How do you develop relationships with that? And the issue is it often takes time. The more time you spend, the closer you become. And we all understand that a relationship is like that. And In fact, not only is there time, but you begin to, you begin to know the person. Uh, you begin to, it's just like your spouse. You, you know them. You can, they can walk through the door. You can walk through the door. And, and you know how it is. Some of you teenagers, you, you get to know your parents. And, and some of you walk through the door. And, and you can turn to your friends and say, uh-oh, mama's not happy. That means you better be careful because it might erupt. Okay, but anyway. How do you get to know that? It takes time. You know somebody. Obviously, with God, it's a different thing. But the point I'm making, it relationship takes time. So, in a moment, we talk about seeking his face. That's why we're going to spend expended time. You might say, spending an hour with God? <laughs> I'm telling you, friend, if you're going to seek God's face and develop a relationship with God, it's going to take time. I guarantee you there are no shortcuts. None at all. If you're going to be a five-minute-a-day Christian, I can guarantee you, you will not have a close relationship with God. He'll still be your God. He'll take care of you. But you will not have the relationship somebody has who spends extended time with God. We're not talking about earning anything. It's just a fact of life. So certainly time is an issue that hinders with the lack of it. But there's something else, and that is what that verse is I quoted out of the book of Isaiah. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you. The reason some of you in this room, God's a million miles away, is because you have not dealt with your sin. You haven't dealt with your sin. I'm going to simply say this, young person, we all got issues. We're all growing. But if you have sin issues, like we talked about this afternoon, maybe you have viewing issues and have other issues, or maybe you've been sneaking stuff behind your parents' back, or maybe you've been cheating in your home school or cheating in your Christian school. And by the way, I hate to tell you this, Christian kids cheat. You know, if I were to say public school kids cheat, everybody would say, oh, yeah, public school kids cheat. We know that. They got cell phones. They're looking up their answer on Google. Yeah, yeah, we know public school kids cheat. And I'm probably talking to some public school kids who cheat. But you know what I've learned in 35 years of mystery? Christian school kids cheat. Did you know that? And I hate to tell you this, homeschoolers, so do homeschoolers. And I hate to tell you, percentage-wise, homeschoolers are the worst. Now, I'm not against homeschooling. I'm just simply saying because of lack of oversight, many homeschoolers cheat. Now, if you're a homeschooler, I'm not assuming you cheat. I'm a nice guy. I'll assume you don't. But a lot do. Do you know I'm going to tell you this? If you're a homeschooler and you cheat, you mark my words, you are not going to know the presence of God in your life until you go to your mom and dad and say, Mom and Dad, I'm a cheater, and here's exactly what I've been doing. It's not rocket science. He that covereth the sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. If you cover your sin from the people that need to know, you will not prosper. But if you confess them and you forsake them, God will show up in your life. It's not hard to figure that one out. And there are dear young people in this room right now, as I'm talking to you, the reason God's a million miles away, the reason you could not imagine spending an hour with God is very simple, because you have not dealt with your sin. And I have many young people who experience the presence of God in very unusual places. 
like principal's offices. Tears streaming on their face, confessing the fact they've been cheating. And God shows up. Isn't that a strange place for God to show up? For some young people that's in the kitchen home telling mom and dad all the junk they've been doing. It's like one young man who came to a conference years ago, here a teen conference years ago, who when he got home, he knocked on his parents' door and said, Mom and Dad, I need to talk to you. He said he sat down on the bed. He said he began to spill his guts and tell his parents everything. And he said, when he did, God was there. See? See, the Bible tells us that your sins will hide his face, his face from you. So if you're here and saying, Preacher, I don't know what you're talking about. God's not real to me. God doesn't show up in my life. Could it be that you've not dealt biblically with your sin. Some of you need to make a beeline to your dad and say, Dad, I've been looking at garbage on the phone. Maybe it's a youth pastor you need to sit down with. If you don't have a dad or your relationship with your dad is not such, he's not a spiritual man, I don't know. But the point is, I'm talking, God says, you cover your sin, you're not going to prosper. But you start confessing and forsaking to the right people, and God says, you'll have mercy, he'll show up in your life. Several years ago, I remember I was in the state of Arizona at a Christian school, probably about 80 kids. And I remember it was the uh, final night, the campfire service. Kids were given testimony. And I noticed there was a young man. I'm thinking, what's he doing in line? He's one of those kids all week long. I knew he had needs, but he hadn't, hadn't done anything. I thought, well, what's going on? Team captain nodded at me like, okay, he's next. I trusted his judgment. I remember he, he came to the microphone. I was holding the microphone. And here's what he said. He said, I just came from Walmart. I go, what, what, is that, what does that have to do with anything? He said, I just came from the manager's office at Walmart. Oh. I just told him everything I'd been stealing from him. You could have almost heard an audible gasp over the crowd. And then he smiled real big and he said to the, not only his students were there, there were about 40 outside kids, and he said, he gave me mercy. <laughs> Didn't tell us what that meant, he just said he gave me mercy. And then he said this, he said, moments ago, he said, I'm walking out of Walmart. And joy overflowed my soul. You know what that's called? The presence of God. You ever walked out of Walmart with the joy of the Lord overflowing you? Some of you say, Preacher, I haven't experienced that. I'm telling you why. Because you've got something between you and God. I'm talking to young people in this room. As soon as this service is over, I'm telling you, friends, you need to make a, a, you make a phone call home to mom and dad. And say, Mom and dad, when I get home, I've got to unload some junk. I'm talking to somebody who's been watching stuff behind their back, jamming out on junk in your car on the way to and from school. I was just in a Christian school, and several years ago, there was a young man there, and I remember dealing with him, and I said, what's your problem? He said, music, man, I'm jamming out on stuff I have no business listening to. I said, um, where do you listen to it? He said, well, in the pickup truck. I said, why don't you disconnect the radio? He went outside, got a screwdriver. He didn't just disconnect the radio. He took it out of his pickup truck. The Friday night campfire service, he stood at the campfire service and he threw it into the campfire, sir, into the campfire. <laughs> Radios don't do well in fire. Did you know that? They don't do well. <laughs> Burned it up. He said, well, preacher, he could have sold it. He could have given away. Yeah, he could. But in his thinking, he was done with it. He's now the youth pastor in that church. <laughs> See, friends, all I'm just simply saying, you know, why? Why? Because I'm simply saying when God begins to work on your heart and you pull down that wall and you begin to deal with the sin in your life, all of a sudden there's no barrier between you and God. Listen, I'm talking to young people in this room, know what I'm talking about, because you can remember the very moment you went and came clean with your parents or you got clean with your school or you got right with somebody else and the wall came down and you knew God was there. One of the things I love about our Friday night campfire service is testimonies of young people literally are wearing a smile from one side of their face to the other, testifying and getting right with God, usually dealing with some sin issue in their life. And they may not put it in these terms, but I can tell you what happened. God showed up. Can I say this carefully, young people? God doesn't play hide and go seek. God is as predictable as this book tells us he is. If you seek him, you will find him. And if God is not a part of your life, may I say this carefully, it's not God's fault. Let me say it again. If you can live without God, you will. But if you say, preacher, I can't live without God, you don't have to. I'm talking to some of you got some business need to do with God. For some of you, it's you haven't been spending time with God. Others of you, and maybe this is your issue too, you got sin issues you haven't dealt with. You haven't come clean with God. You haven't gotten all taken care of. 
Years ago, I remember a young man traveling on our team who got way away from God. And finally, the day came where he told his dad everything. He said, Preacher, it took me about two weeks, but every time I remembered something, I'd make a beeline to my dad and I'd tell him. He said, It'll take me about two weeks. About two weeks later, I realized, I think I've told him everything. He didn't consciously hold anything back from his dad, but when, in, oh, yeah, I need to tell him about that too. You know what he was doing? He said, God, I want to be clean. I want to know you. Now, I want you to say, understand this. When you get right with God, you do not earn the presence of God. The point is the wall comes down between you and God. It's no longer there. So understand you've got to seek his face, which basically means you've got to spend time. And number two, you've got to deal with your sin. Now, when I'm talking about seeking God, it's, it's, I don't want you to become too complicated. It's like this, God, I want you. Let me just say this, young person, I'm all for having devotions, but I'm going to tell you this. You can have your devotions and not seek God, but if you seek God, you'll have your devotions. Change your mentality. It's not, okay, I read my chapter, I've read my verses, okay, I've got my five minutes of prayer. Now, don't check off a list. You know what devotions are? It's the pursuit of God. I remember years ago when I was a freshman in college, somebody handed me the book, A.W. Tozier wrote, The Pursuit of God. I remember reading that book, and I don't know how to explain it, something burned in my heart. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't think I understand 90% of what this man's saying, but whatever he's saying, I think it's what I need. And if nothing else changed me about that book, I'll tell you what did change me about that book. The title was the pursuit of God. I remember at the college, no offense to the college I went to, thank the Lord there were exceptions, but I remember looking around and most of the students, I thought, they're not pursuing God. Some care more about soccer than they do God. They care more about other things than they do God. I was looking for people who were pursuing God. Thank the Lord I did find some. The pursuit of God, friend. It's the ultimate pursuit. It's the lifelong pursuit. I've certainly not lived it perfectly by any stretch of the imagination, but I will tell you this, it is a worthy pursuit and you make the choice often in your youth. God, I want you more than anything. God, I can't go on without you. God, I need you. You read your Bible, why? You're trying to find God. You spend time in prayer because I want to find God. Remember years ago talking to one of our students, I believe the student is in the room, graduate now. I said, you're different. What's different about you? And I remember the student looked at me and said, I was dissatisfied. Where I was going, I saw everybody spend an hour with God. I thought, if it kills me, I'm going to do it. She said, I began to spend time with God. And I don't know, oh, fourth, fifth, sixth day, was somewhere in there. She said, I was having my time with God. And all of a sudden, I realized he was there. You say, preacher, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it's just like this. Seek God and you'll find out what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking to Christians in this room. You've lived, it's been a long time since you've met with God. We can watch our television. We can be enamored with our, our media. We can watch our Fox News and be a good poli politically whatever. We can do all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, friends, that's no substitute for meeting with God. In fact, many times it grieves the Holy Spirit because it's taking time that we ought to be spending seeking God. I'm not against sports, but if you're not meeting with God and you're watching hours of baseball or football or whatever, your problem is priority. The most, the greatest thing you could ever do, young person, is to meet with God. I mean, get alone with God. Some of you preacher boys in this class, in this college, I'm begging you, get alone with God. Because I'm going to tell you right now, that piece of paper on your wall is not going to make you a preacher, but God will. You meet with God while you're a student here. You get alone with God and say, God, I can't do this without you. One of the great advantages I had when I went to college was this. My parents were older and they were not healthy. I knew my parents weren't going to live very long. And I knew this. My, my mom knew God. I knew my mom knew God. My dad knew God. I knew he knew. And of course, as I mentioned, my grandmother knew God, but I realized they're not going to be around very long. My mom and grandmother died when I was in my 20s. My dad died when I was in my 30s. And you know what I had to learn? I can't depend on mom and dad and grandma anymore to meet with God. I got to meet with God. I'm telling a young person, you need to meet with God. 
You can be 12 years old, meet with God. Did you know that? You can be 16 years old, meet with God. In fact, if you're 16 and never met with God, you're too late. Now, don't get me wrong, meet with God, but realize you're behind. I'm telling you, friend, this generation can change the world. One of the things I love about the millennials and the Generation Z group is they crave authenticity. And I'm going to tell you, friend, why don't you be an authentic Christian who walks with Jesus, <laughs> who knows the reality of his presence in their life. So number one, you have to understand you have to seek God. You've got to spend time with God. You've got to deal with sin issues in your life that grieve Him. And you've got to deal with them biblically and thoroughly. If you're cheating, sometimes people say, well, I cheated. God, please forgive me. Yeah, please forgive me. And then make a beeline to the person you cheated and, and tell that teacher you cheated in their class. That's what we're talking about. Because you've been covering your sin. You can confess it to God, but you're still covering your sin if you had not gotten right with the person you sinned against. You sin behind your parents' back, you're not going to be right with God Do you come clean with mom and dad. Some of you have some stuff. You've been sneaking stuff, stealing stuff, who knows, watching stuff they don't want you to watch. You need to sit down with mom and dad and come clean. But that brings me to one final point. Well, this will conclude. It won't take long to preach this last point. You, when you seek God's face continually, there's something that is very important besides the, the, the quest, and that is this. Expectation. Expectation. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? If you seek God and do not expect Him to show up, that's called unbelief. The very search of God infers the fact you're expecting Him to be found. So here's what I believe the attitude is. If I could put it this way, God, I need you. God, I'm, gonna, I'm looking for you in your word. God, I'm spending time with you. God, I need you. God, I can't go on without you. And God, I'm expecting you to show up in my life. And I'm telling a young person, he will. You say, how do you know that? Because he said he would. As I mentioned, I've lived in imperfectly, but there are certain times I know God showed up in my life. Any man or woman who has ever walked with God knows there's times where God unusually has met your need. He's met you. Sometimes in your darkest moment, He meets you. Sometimes as you walk by a casket looking at some of the dearest people on planet Earth that are now gone, He shows up. It's amazing the times God shows up in your life. But He only shows up, why? Because you can't live without Him. I'm telling you right now, you spend more time on video games, don't be shocked if God doesn't show up in your life. If you spend more time on social media, don't be shocked if God doesn't show up in your life. You spend more time, I'm talking not necessarily wrong media, but on media, don't be shocked if God doesn't show up in your life. But I'm telling you, friend, if the number one priority in your life, God, I've got to find God. I've got to go not, not go God. You know what I made a decision was? You know what? I want to die well. And I figure the way to die well is to know God. <laughs> Teenager, make a decision you want to die well. I will tell you, friend, you've got to expect them to show up. It's seeking, it's hungering for God. It's being that's more important than anything else, not getting distracted by the world that is so distracting around us. You know, young people, you know you can be satisfied and enjoy life and not play video games at all. Did you know that? You're looking at one. You say, well, you're a baby boomer. <laughs> I did play that mind game. I think I played that two or three times. But anyway, that's about it. <laughs> and you know what? I really like life. I really enjoy life. I'm living proof that you, you can not touch video games at all and absolutely think life is a blast. And I don't even do social media. You know, the point is, friends, and I, I, I enjoy life. I have a great time. I'm not saying these things are all wrong. I'm saying many times video games are because they waste time. It's living in a world that doesn't even exist. That kind of sounds kind of dumb. I kind of like to live in the world that does exist. <laughs> See, the point, friends, is it's got to become the, the passion of your life. And again, I, no, none of us live it perfectly, but it ought to be the direction, God, I want you, I need you. I want to ask you a question. What happens after two or three days where you don't meet with God? I'm talking to maybe some preachers in this room. Can you go two or three days without meeting God or after two or three days saying, God, I can't go on. God, I need you. God, i got to have you. God, I can't go on without you. Because I got good news. If you got that attitude, you don't have to go on without God. <laughs> He'll show up in your life. 
I will tell you, I remember in college beginning to go out on those ball fields looking up in the sky and saying, God, I need you. I remember in Arkansas walking out on a fall day on ensemble at the college I went to and the crisp fall air and looking up to God. God was there. Holy moments like that. And any young preacher boy ought to have many holy moments where God shows up and you know he's there. Sometimes he shows up in the pulpit and you're realizing God's here. And I will tell you, friend, my personal testimony would be this. I think any preacher would verify this. When God shows up in your life, it's the most fulfilling moments of your human existence. Nothing comes close. The God moments. And God says, seek my face. How often? How often? You want to tell me how often? Continually. God, I need you. I can't go on without you. God, I need you. I will say any preacher boy who goes off into the ministry knows those early days of preaching and early days of seeking God. There's those sacred moments. They're almost too sacred to talk about, aren't they? When God showed up in your life and you knew God's here. There's moments, I'll be honest with you, as a young preacher boy, just blew me away. And God was trying to teach me something. He's trying to teach all of us. Without me, you can do nothing. I want to ask you, friend, you're hungry for God. Seek Him and expect Him. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the 2019 The Generation Youth Summit. If you were blessed by this sermon, don't forget to make plans to join hundreds of other young people next October for our annual meeting in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit thegeneration.org summit. And until next time, thanks for listening.